are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutta Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week is Sushma Swarit, Head of Talent Acquisition Northern Europe at Transcom, a DEI advocate, parent, leader, politician and mentor. Good morning, Shishma. Thank you for being a guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast today. And let's start with the questions. Where are you joining us from now? And give us a quick background and introduction. Thank you, Sada. I'm really glad to be part of this. And thanks for reaching out. I'm calling in from Sweden today. This is where I'm based currently. A little background about myself. I was born in India, lived a little bit all over India, everything from Chennai to Kashmir, Assam, Delhi, Mumbai. So we've traveled around a lot and also lived abroad quite a lot in my childhood in countries like Kenya and Sri Lanka. I've also lived in the U.S. The last 10 years I've been in Sweden. So when it comes to my background and culture, that's a hard question, I would say, because I am a mixture of all these people and all these places that I've been and lived in. So I don't have an association with a single culture or even belonging in that sense, the good and the bad. So yeah, it's a little bit about my background, very short. And what do you do? I know that you've recently joined Transcom. Tell us about your new role there. It's been about five months since I joined uh, Transcom. I head up the talent acquisition space here, basically taking care of all things talent attraction and recruitment for the Northern European cluster. I've spent a good portion of my career. It's been about 18 years within talent acquisition. It's an area that I've stuck to for a long, long time because of my passion with recruiting and attracting people, changing people's careers and lives, and also changing the shapes of organizations with diversity and diverse recruitment. So when we talk about diversity, Sweden is a country where every fourth resident has a foreign background and every third has at least one parent who was born abroad. Does this diversity translate into a more diverse workforce? That's a good question. Diverse workforce, yes, we do have a diverse workforce. What I have found lacking is diverse workforce at all levels of the organization and all sectors of the society. I see that there's a huge work that needs to be done. So we're lacking the diversity at senior levels of management, mid-levels to senior levels of management, for example. That seems to be the experience in most places, actually. Yeah, I can imagine it. It's not unique to Sweden. It's probably in most places and most companies. But there's a lot of talk about it. So I hope we can start Yeah, but in terms of legislation and the requirements and the companies who are really interested in being diverse, can you see the intent in the private sector? I think a lot of times companies, they think that they can hire a head of diversity, you know, EDNI head, and then there's a lot of BIPOC marketing campaigns. This is not enough to secure diverse workforce and inclusive workforce, I would say. I think organizations really need to sit and work hands on on making sure that there is diversity in all levels of the organization. And the focus has been, I would say, a lot on gender 
if I look at Sweden, it has been gender equality and gender diversity in that sense. But we need to go beyond that. It look at people of color, ethnicity, race. We need to look at diverse abilities, LGBTQ plus uh, communities. That we don't have in all levels. And when we don't have diverse workforce in all levels, we don't have diverse solutions. So a lot of the organizations don't have systems and infrastructure in place to cater to diverse workforce because solutions have not been built by diverse workforce. So there's a gap that needs to be filled. What has been your own experience as someone working in the country? I do know from our earlier conversation that it hasn't been a really easy journey. In fact, it may have been very difficult. So could you share your experience? Yeah, for sure. I moved to Sweden about 10 years ago and I started my journey in applications, job applications. And I think I was a little naive to think that an MBA in India and a background with companies like Yahoo and Citibank would land me a job easily in Sweden. So there was a lot of naiveness in that. But very soon I learned that it does not matter what your background is. There's so many systematic biases in the recruitment process, which hinder me in getting a job. So 200 odd applications and zero interviews. And this was about 10 years ago. It really broke me, the experience, and it broke my confidence. And I decided that I needed to move out of the country and move somewhere else. But as a last resort, I got an opportunity to intern with a bank in Sweden. And I had a three-month internship opportunity. It was this foot in that actually led me in getting a job at the bank and continuing my journey there and moving within the bank and the whole Ingwer Kampart family, that's where I worked with. So that was great. So I was able to get that foot in. But then when I was trying to look for a job again, it was recently, maybe about a year ago, it was the same challenges. This time it was 100 odd positions that I'd applied to. I only had three companies that reached out. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, is it better to be rejected, interviewed and rejected? Or is it better to not be seen at all? What is the lesser of the two evils, right? And I feel like I'd rather that companies met me and then if they didn't like me, did not continue with me in the process. But I don't get the opportunity to present myself. I wish we could do more. And I usually apply for roles where I know I could at least fit 80 to 100% of what's written on the job ad. Yeah, which is so typical of women. We tend not to apply for roles unless we are an absolute sort of fit. And yeah, this sounds so disheartening. And what would you say were your learnings from this whole experience? So you are in talent and the recruitment space. Why do you think this was happening to you? I think this is happening to me because of a couple of reasons. First of all, I'm in a non-niche segment, which means that you get hundreds of applications in these roles. Secondly, I'm trying to look, of course, for leadership level positions so I can head up the space, or at least leadership level, manage teams. Thirdly, I think most recruitment systems are biased. And when I apply, my name is not a common name. People have a hard time associating where does Sushma come from? You know, you don't click on it. So recruitment systems are designed in such a way that on the back end, when a recruiter receives an application, so that you apply for a head of talent acquisition, the recruiter receives the application, the recruiter has to click on your name to open your application. So here you have the first unconscious bias sitting in, right? So when you have well-known names or easily recognized names versus Sushma, which you don't recognize, you have a tendency to be filtered away unconsciously. I don't think it's a very conscious bias. So I don't think anybody's looking at my application at the first stage itself. So 
I think this is where we need to start with change. Our recruitment systems need to be more inclusive. People in organizations, heads of recruitments need to see how can we change recruitment systems to not have this as the first click for the recruiters to look into. Is there not blind CVs, et cetera, where your name is not visible? There is a lot on that, but I would think that the majority of the recruitment systems today do not have that option. So a lot of times, due to certain reasons and regulations, recruitment systems, the name is always a mandatory field or a required field. If you apply directly to a hiring manager, maybe at that point of time you could hide, but not from a recruitment system perspective. At least a lot of recruitment systems that I've used and, and seen in the market the name is the primary factor there that you click into. Yeah. So what would you say from your experience, how should the system change? So if you were recruiting and you were looking to get in diverse talent, but also look at people with the skills and not necessarily from the background or the ethnicity or the disability, et cetera, what would you do? What would your recommendations be? Quite a few, I would say, but I would start with structural changes in the systems and infrastructure within the organization. Everything from how we have our recruitment systems built, for example, or how we work with diverse workforce. You know, inclusion starts first. You need to try to think about what are the different people out there? What are their needs? I don't think today workforces are built for that. I think workforces look at what is the average human being and systems are designed based on that infrastructure at work is designed based on the average human being but the average human being does not exist and then I think it's very crucial with continuous learning so people in the organization are aware of this and aware that we need diverse workforce at all levels to create diverse solutions we need recruiters and recruitment leaders and recruitment teams partnering with hiring managers influencing hiring managers in the decision to recruit diverse workforce. Recruiters are the gatekeepers of the organization, right? They also need the education on unconscious bias and they need the education on recruitment bias. We cannot eliminate bias. We cannot eliminate recruitment bias, but we need more education and learning in the space, constant learning and real life experiences. And a lot of times you don't get this. If you don't have a diverse workforce and you don't see the diverse challenges in a diverse workforce, you don't see it, then you're doing as is. And then you have a few diverse elements in the organization which you tend to portray up in your marketing campaigns. But we need to go beyond that. So once somebody has come into the system, you know, once you overcome the biggest barrier that is just getting recruited and you are in the system, what are the things that an organization needs to do in order to ensure that you are able as an individual to thrive in your role and also to stay on? Because yeah. a lot of the times... We hear that, okay, you've recruited because you have targets, et cetera, et cetera. But then you see that person after some time leaves the system because they're unable to fit in or, you know, they are unable exactly. to feel comfortable in the system. Exactly. And that's because inclusion plays such a huge role here, right? That you really truly understand the diverse needs of different people. Just as an example, if you take a person of color or a person with Indian origin, right? We have a tendency to take care of our elderly parents very differently from how the Swedish society would probably take care of the elderly parents here. You have the government, the society that takes care of it. Whereas if you come from India, for example, it's usually down to the children to take care of your aging parents, as an example. If organizations understood this, that if you have an Indian and you have a, a Swede, an Indian would probably have a more higher need to probably be back home in India now and then when you have aging parents to take care of them versus a Swede who lives here doesn't have that. It's the same thing with systems, right? If you have deaf candidates that you employ or if you have blind candidates, 
do we have systems and infrastructure to support them to do the work that is coming from, you know, a central fund and not something that is, you know, okay, this hiring manager has made this recruitment, so it's this hiring manager's responsibility to fulfill that need. No, we should talk more about it, whether it's cultures or if you take the LGBT community. Like I was talking to a friend the other day and she was talking about how the challenges when she's moving as an expat, the challenges of moving her pets with her. She and her wife have a tough time getting approval to move the pets. But whereas if you are a heterosexual couple and you are moving with your children, nobody's questioning you if you're having two children or 10 children. You will get the support. You will get uh, help with their schools. We need to hear these stories so we are empathetic and we understand different needs and we accommodate all that. And with that, you build an inclusive culture with diverse workforce. So it's both of them, it can clash sometimes. We want to try to create diverse workforce by recruiting diverse. But if you don't have an inclusive culture and if you don't see these needs, we're not going to be able to tackle it. Another last example I want to give is like, for example, you know, there are people who are nocturnal, you know, we know that creative people work better in the evenings and in the nights. We're genetically built like that, right? But we don't have organizations that have catered to that, right? We're still going by the industrial revolution. You know, eight to five has come from those times and we're still sticking to that, right? And you know, creative workforces, you will get the better of them if they're working in the nights. We need to give that space. We need to understand these different ideas and that people are different and accommodate it. And this is what I mean by infrastructure and systems in place within organizations that accommodate not the average human being, but everyone. The other day I was thinking about this and I thought, so the command and control model, of course, exists, but the workplace is like a school for older people. You have a time that you have to go in. There are certain things you have to do. You cannot leave before a certain time and you are being monitored for everything that you do. And it's something that is like a hundred years old. It really needs to change if we are to adapt and to be more successful in this ever-changing world that we live in today. I've read a few of your posts and you've spoken about diversity washing. Please elaborate on that. (laughs) I think it's stemming from frustration after you go through hundreds of job applications and not getting an opportunity to get a foot in to, to do what you have done for 18 years. I have experience within this field and I cannot get an opportunity. And I would say when I apply, majority of the companies I look at, I look at, you know, what if they work in sustainability? What if they work on the ADNI spectrum? And they are fantastic, you know, on the websites. But in reality, you don't even look at an application with a name like Sushma. It boils down for me to think that it's a lot about, you know, marketing. You know, we cannot have ADNI leaders that are marketers, fantastic marketers. No, we need to make true change and we need real empathy in this area and we need to collectively move this forward. So I really want to push that out there, organization, reflect, look at each level of your organization and see, are you truly making change? Are you adopting to all the different needs that are there in the human workforce? So that is why I talk about, we need to be mindful about how much we talk about diversity. A lot of it seems like marketing and PR, unfortunately, because we are yet to see change. We are yet to see that systems change or, you know, the transformational change where you have a certain amount of momentum and you can see the transformation happening within businesses. But I don't think we have that momentum as yet in our business and society. No, no, no. (laughs) Okay. Moving on. So, you know, I spoke about blind CVs, et cetera. And I think we've touched a bit on this already. Does bias-free recruitment mean inclusive culture? And how important is belonging for people in an organization? First of all, I think that bias-free recruitment does not exist. I mean, we are human beings and we are biased. It's been a source of survival for us. So it does not exist. 
But what we can do is we can be aware of our biases and we can start talking about it. We can openly talk about it. I know it becomes sometimes a taboo to say that, oh, I thought like this when I talked to this person, you know, but we need to talk about our biases openly. And recruitment in that sense can act as a catalyst for building inclusive cultures. But the thing is, we need to work with them in both ways, right? You know, just to check some diversity KPIs, we cannot bring people of color or people of diverse abilities or people from the LGBT community just to take this. Because when you bring them in and then you don't have an organization that is built to take care of these different needs, then they will leave. So we need to work with them simultaneously. So inclusive cultures have to be worked simultaneously. And a lot of this has to be done with continuous learning, being open, honest, looking into the internal biases, have forums to talk about this, to talk about experiences of different people, forums where people of color, people of disabilities, LGBT communities can come and share the experiences because that way we can try to create more awareness and learning on this topic and together work with changing this. What does belonging mean to you? Is it an important aspect of creating an inclusive culture? Yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting question. I mean, this is a really tricky question for me to answer because I have been struggling with belonging, of course, and I've been trying to go down to the roots of it. And I have, as a person, lived in different parts of the world at different times, and I don't have a sense of belonging to any place or any culture in that sense inherently. And also, I see that in organizations as well. And I'm not sure if this is for me because of my background and maybe other people have different experiences, but I've had a hard time to have a sense of belonging. I've been questioning that quite a lot. You know, I don't feel a sense of belonging in India, for example, right? Even though I have Indian heritage and I've lived there, I have so many differences there. I don't have a sense of belonging in Sweden. And that's the same thing in the workforce, right? It's different. It's extremely important, I feel, for for getting the most of the individual out, that everybody is seen, everybody's heard, and everybody's included. Even if your needs are maybe weird, and then you approach it in an empathetic manner. A little bit, like I said, like sleep patterns. Yeah. If we can meet a person who says, I can't manage this eight to five because I'm not, I can't wake up in the mornings and be creative. I'm most creative at 11 in the night. Mm. How can we as managers and leaders accept that, okay, there are certain meetings maybe you need to take during the daytime because there are stakeholders that you need to meet, but your creative work can happen after work hours. We're not going to question when you do work and where you do it from. So we meet even things that you think are weird that need to be included, like, You know what I mean? Yeah, true. I agree. Totally agree with you. Belonging is a serious thing. And in an organization where most of us tend to spend most of our lives working, right? And if you do not have that sense that you belong, I think it takes away the motivation. You may still work as hard, but it takes away the motivation and the ability to find actually joy and do even better whatever you're doing. Um, Yeah, and to be your best self, you need to be yourself. And then I think we can unleash so much potential out there that is kind of boxed into this frameworks that we have set, which are not really inclusive for the many people. So true. So we had our last question. What motivates you to do what you do, Shushma, every single day? You mean more from the recruitment side of things? or personal, professional, everything. Because I think a personal and professional, like there are so many overlaps Yeah. So from the recruitment side of things, I think I found a lot of meaning within recruitment, mainly because I think it's so fulfilling to be able to change the many people's lives 
by getting them a job, helping them in their career and so on. Also from the recruitment perspective, I think for me, it has been very fulfilling to try to make changes in the organizations where we can try to work with diversity. We shape organizations, right? At the end of the day, we are the gatekeepers. We bring in the people. So we shape the organization. So that has been such a high driving factor. And that's the reason I've stuck in this field for such a long time. And it's also a very underinvested field. It's a field where, you know, you need to really fight your way in and to hold a seat at the table, so to say. That I do professionally. That's my day job. And then personally, on my free time, I spend a lot of time with local politics, spending weekends and evenings. I hold a seat at the local parliament here in the municipality because I think representation, we need representation everywhere. We need representation in the corporate world. We need representation in politics. And in politics, what I think is great with representation is that we need to have representation from the common man, from all walks of life. And there's nothing to do with people of color, or you know, different profession, different ages, different backgrounds. And that I think we need to talk more about. So Again, that politics is also not just about you have some gender diversity at some point of time. No. I think of that sort of no. no. representation. So these are all huge, huge drivers for me. Yeah. Thank you. That's so interesting that you give your time towards something that you deeply believe in. That can be very, very satisfying. Thank you so much, Shushma, for Thank you know, you, time for this conversation. It's been really interesting. And I've loved hearing your perspectives and also hearing about what's happening in different countries. And you're... Thank you yeah. very much. Thank you so much, Sada. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.